All right, welcome to the Expert Edge today. I think you're going to enjoy. We're going to be talking about the five big mistakes that people make on virtual stages and how to avoid these mistakes. I'm going to share with you exactly what you need to do. And if you have or have an intention of becoming good at speaking on a virtual stage, this is going to be a really helpful episode. Now, just on a personal update, uh, I don't know what it's like for you right now, but I'm based in Orange County in California. Things are starting to open up, which is kind of nice. And uh, the weather's getting warmer. Uh, the surf has been starting to really lift and crank lately. I know the wedge is going to be huge this week, which I'm going to be heading down to hopefully get out there and get a bit of a pounding out of the wedge. And uh, if you haven't seen any videos of the wedge in California, definitely go on YouTube because uh, you might see me there getting destroyed out there. <laughs> but uh, it's one of my passions, one of my loves. And uh, it's coming into, yeah, a good time of year. We've got the kids at home on summer break and, you know, lots of good stuff happening. So I hope you are well where you are and your world is starting to free up and open up. And and I'm just excited about this next season. And uh, But what I do know is that with this shift into online stages, that's not going away anytime soon. And I'm sure that even as live stages open up, virtual stages are going to stay the main platform for quite some time. And I think we'll probably stay like that forever since this experience because the cost, the versatility, the you know accessibility of a virtual stage is just immense. Now, I don't think it takes away the power of a live stage. I, I still love the power of a live stage, but I think it's worthwhile your time learning to become good at a virtual stage. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, because that's going to be just continually such a big area of focus as the expert industry grows and develops moving into 2021, 22, etc. So guys, I hope you get a whole bunch out of it. Leave a review about what has been most helpful. Make sure you subscribe and we'll talk to you really soon. Enjoy. You are listening to the Expert Edge podcast. This is the place where experts come to command the stage position themselves as authorities and scale their business up. Get ready to access your next level of potential with your host, Colin Boy. So welcome to the Expert Edge. We are talking all things virtual stages today. Now, I want to share with you the five biggest mistakes that people make on virtual stages and how to avoid them. This is going to be some fresh content uh, that I haven't shared anywhere anywhere else. And so as a podcast listener, you get some privilege, some access to some new information or some distinctions that I've noticed that I think will make a big difference when it comes to speaking on virtual stages. Now, I have been a speaker professionally for about 13 years. I remember one of the first workshops that I ran. It was a workshop uh, where I sold tickets and I think I sold 12 or 10. It was around that small, small little audience. And it was a one-day workshop and it was called Present with Confidence. <laughs> and it was all about presenting with confidence, speaking effectively. Now, that whole workshop was, was really all about speaking on live stages. And, you know, I really had a big focus on live stages. I've had the opportunity to speak on stages with five or 6,000 people in the audience in, you know, big auditoriums. I've spoken to executive boards. In fact, just the other day, I was scrolling through my phone. Do you ever do this? You scroll through your phone and you see like old photos and it just, it just reminds you of, of some of the experiences that you've had in your past. And I randomly came across a photo of a workshop that I was running. This was actually just, uh, this was about four years ago. So it was just before we moved from Australia to, to California. And there was this photo of me 
you could see the audience on the right hand side and me standing up, sitting up on the on the uh, on the seat, and there was probably about two hundred and fifty executives in a room, and I had them for two days. And so for two days, I ran this conference. That uh, in fact, it was the what's called the ATO, which is the uh, IRS equivalent of that in Australia. So it was all their top executives uh, for two days. I had to facilitate and then run a full day of training on the second day. And I remember that you know this journey of going on that journey of becoming someone who could facilitate a room. Uh, it definitely didn't start there because like I mentioned before, I remember running my first workshop. I had like 10 people in it. I remember some of my first presentations that I did at youth group and I was freaking out so much that my hand wouldn't stop shaking. I, I literally had to grab the microphone with one hand <laughs> for the other and hold on to the microphone with two hands because I, I felt like I was about to throw the microphone on the audience. <laughs> you know, I I've had all of these experiences where, where I've gone from completely freaking out to actually, you know, feeling confident and feeling like I could connect with people and serve people. And so today's conversation, I want to share with you uh, that journey and what that journey has looked like and how you can use some of the insights and strategies that I've learned. Because obviously over the last you know, year or so, there has been a big shift from, from live stages to virtual stages, from uh, you know, speaking and seeing a response and a reaction from an audience to now delivering webinar presentations and lives and so forth. And in fact, we just ran a three-part live training series that was done via Facebook Live into a group. And we had about you know, 4,000 people in the group or so and... Uh, or in the, in the experience, and I couldn't see their faces. I couldn't see the response, the reaction that people were having. And it, it is a little bit different speaking to a virtual audience as opposed to speaking to a live audience. You get different feedback. I think there's different nuances, et cetera. And so I wanna share with you some of those distinctions that I've learned. Uh, and once again, I didn't start at 4,000 people on a, you know, on a video series. I, I started at 10 people on a webinar. That's where I started. And if you're starting there, you know, embrace that. that that's, that's part of the journey that you're on. And I think that the fact that I have the ability to speak to, you know, thousands of people on a virtual stage is because I started with 10 people on a virtual stage. I started with five people on a virtual stage and then I built up to 100, to 200, to 500, to 1,000, to multiple thousand. And so, you know, wherever you are in that journey, I know that you're going to bring you're going to bring out and draw out some really valuable lessons from our conversation today. And so, like I said, the context is around the, the five big mistakes that I've noticed people make on virtual stages that I think are going to make a big difference when it comes to connecting and moving people into your, into your programs. So here's the challenge. When it comes to speaking on a virtual stage, many of you get no response. In other words, maybe you do a Facebook Live or you do a webinar. Specifically, I think this really applies to a webinar or you know, some sort of launch experience where you have a group of people, they're waiting, they're excited for your presentation and you get up and you present and it really just doesn't go as well as you wanted it to. And so you don't get the response. You feel like you're freaking out internally coming into it. Maybe the technology doesn't work as well as you wanted it to. And at the end, no one joins your program right? That, that's kind of not what you want. That's the challenge. And so if that's happening, it's because you're making one of, one of these five mistakes that I'm about to share with you. And so my goal of this conversation here is to help you get clarity around how to create greater level of engagement in your presentation so that people respond and finish, you finish the presentation and there are hundreds, if not thousands of comments. In fact, 
uh, some of my students just posted in our self from stage group recently and they said, you know, Colin, we just started using some of the, the micro decision processes that, that we teach. And the engagement level went from, you know, almost non-existent, like, you know, a couple of comments here and there to some of them have get, are getting close to a thousand comments on a webinar or on a Facebook live, depending on how many people they have on it. I know for us, we had over a thousand comments on every live video that we did just recently. And so how do you get a thousand comments? How do you get that level of engagement? And to me, it's not about the number. It's not about just a thousand comments or 200 comments or whatever. For me, that is just a piece of data that shows me that there is a greater level of engagement happening from the audience with the content. Does that make sense? And so it's not even about getting numbers for numbers sake or increasing the amount of comments on your videos, etc. It's about showing the level of engagement that the audience has with your content. Because if you've ran any sort of webinar or launch before, you would know that the more engaged people are in the content while you're teaching it, the more sales there will be at the end. And so it has a direct correlation with you building your business so that you can actually change people's lives. You can actually help people. And so that's the goal of our conversation, our podcast episode today. And by the way, if uh, you find it helpful, please leave a review because I'd love to hear what's been most helpful as we go through. So I remember doing one of my first webinars and it was so weird. Have you experienced that yet? I mean, if you've run a webinar or something like that before, it's such a weird experience going from teaching a live audience, seeing people's response, seeing people's faces, etc., and then sitting or standing in front of a computer screen and seeing some random names, you know, in your in your little sidebar saying that people are on there, but not seeing any response and just kind of talking and, and hoping that people are listening. You maybe you've experienced that when you did your first Facebook Live or something like that. It's a weird experience, right? And it's something that you kind of need to get used to. And so I think that what I'm going to share today is going to give some insight in terms of how to really amp that up and become world-class at communicating on a virtual stage. And I think the same is for podcasting. I know for me, when I first started podcasting, it was just a different mode, a different medium of delivery that I hadn't really done before, like long-form audio. It's, it's a different medium that you need to get used to. And I know for me now, my preparation time and delivery time on a podcast is a lot shorter than what it used to be. Because when I first started, I you know it would take me hours to come up with and design the content for a, for a podcast, where now... Uh, you know, I can do it in, you know, let's say 30 minutes or so to get all the content written, sometimes even shorter, depending on the level of detail I go on the podcast. And then obviously the delivery time is just the delivery time, but but the preparation, the delivery, all those nuances, you know, I've learned over time. And so I really want to encourage you as well is that as you do more virtual delivery, uh, you, you'll learn a whole lot more and you'll become better at it. And, you know, part of the, part of the, the, the journey of mastery is, is practice. And I always say this to my students is that as you take action, the clarity will just grow immensely. You know, like it's exponential clarity as you implement it. Sure, you know, if you do a program, you do my program or someone else's program or someone does your program, they're gonna get clarity from just the, the process. But when they implement the process, that's when like the real clarity comes, the absolute crystal clear clarity. So you'll get that as you implement this. But let's talk about these five big mistakes uh, that I noticed people make. The first one is this, is that when you think about speaking on a virtual stage, you're speaking to a computer. So the mistake is that you think that you're speaking to a computer. Now you may not say that, you may not confess that, but the way that you're communicating, the way that you're speaking, you aren't bringing a heightened level of empathy 
an intentionality behind the fact that you are literally speaking to a human being. Even just the other day, I was I was chatting with a friend and we were talking about our podcast and we we're talking about, you know, how many people download and listen to our podcast. And I was, you know, telling him about these are our goals and so forth. And and he said this great reminder and he goes, he was like, Colin, think about it. You know, every single person that is is represented as a number on that podcast download, that's a human being that is listening to you like you are right now, listening to you right now as they're walking around the streets, they're driving, they're experiencing their life. They're a human being. And that was a really nice reminder because I know for me, you know, the, the more I remind myself that the people who are listening on the end or watching on the end of a virtual presentation, the more empathy I remind myself of that, the more connection I have. Now, one of the great ways of doing that is for me, when I'm looking at a lens, so you think about a virtual stage, you usually have a lens, right? You have a camera. And so for me, I have got a DSLR. So it's like a high definition camera that I'm looking at the lens of. I used to just have you know, just as like a more simple setup, but I'm looking down the lens. I'm looking right down the eye of the lens. And what I do is I imagine that lens is a person. I imagine that that lens is literally a person like right on the, on the end of that lens. So I'm looking at the front end of my lens right now as I'm recording this podcast and you know, two or three inches behind that lens is a person. And I know that that's not actually the case, but, but you know what I mean? Like, that's how I imagine. I imagine it's just like the lens are the eyes of the individuals that I'm speaking to if it would be in a live stage. And so I want you to try that on next time you do a webinar. I want you to imagine that the lens, you look at the lens, if you're sitting in front of your, ca your computer right now, you could see that or next time you go there, I want you to look down the lens and imagine that you're literally talking at the eyes or talking to the eyes of a person, that the lens is a person. I think the more you experience the lens of a camera as being the eyes of a person, the more connection, the more deeply uh, yeah, connected the audience will feel with you. There's this great moment in that movie Avatar where uh, I think it's you know the guy who, who is you know pretending to be one of the avatars is he walks along the edge of this this long, I think it's it's like a branch. And then the main character, the girl, comes up to him and they exchange a moment. And I think it's, she says to him, she says, I see you. Like she has this moment, this like, I see you moment where they have this, this experience of, we are the same. We are family. We are connected. They have an I see you moment. And what you need to do on a virtual stage is you need to kind of slow down sometimes and have that moment of I see you. As a, as a virtual presenter, speaking with virtual attendees, you have to have that moment of going, I see you and, and I, I get where you're at. I know what, you know, I think about you. I'm concerned about you. When I design this, I design this for you, not for me. And so there's this feeling of empathy. And I think great marketers are able to do that as well. But great speakers are able to do that. A great speaker is able to connect with an audience member down, you know, on the front row. And the person sitting in the back row feels like they are having a, almost a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them as well. And so a great speaker does that. They have those I see you moments. And for me, from a practical sense, 
What I do is I literally look at the lens and I imagine that it's a person. And I talk to that lens like as if it's a person. And so that's the first thing is that people make the mistake of they speak to the computer. They speak to a thing as opposed to a being, a person. And so that is part of the shift that you need to make to become a great speaker on a virtual stage. It's gonna make, make you more human less robotic and more connection-based. The second big mistake that people make is that they assume that people will be responsive. They assume that their audience will be responsive. And so what, what I mean by that is, you've probably noticed this, is that in a live experience, as a generalization, people will give you more feedback based around their eyes, their movement, their talking, their responsing, they're putting up their hands, all that sort of stuff. People will tend to give you more feedback in a live group as opposed to a virtual group. I, I find that. And so what, what you must do whenever you're running a webinar or doing a virtual presentation or something like that, you have to set the tone for engagement. I know for me, I demand engagement. Now, what I mean by that, I don't like, you know, when I say demand, it's quite a strong word, but I expect there to be engagement from the audience. And I ask very directly that people would engage. And I do that right from the start. Like I set a context of this is going to be a highly interactive conversation. Like it's a conversation, it's not just a presentation. This is gonna be a highly interactive conversation and the more you engage with me, the more you're gonna get out of this presentation itself. Who here is ready to step up their engagement, their enthusiasm, and what they draw out of this presentation today? Type the word yes, if you're ready for that. And I'll do something like that, right? And and people will type the word yes or ready or whatever. You don't have to use yes all the time. It might be type the word ready, or type the word now, type the word, you know, woohoo. <laughs> or boom, or something like that. And so people type in there, right? And they type in, type into the, uh, into the chat area. And then, and then what you do is you've got to make sure you acknowledge that because a lot of the time people don't acknowledge it at all. But it's, I think it's really powerful when you, hey, Jenny, Jenny says yes. You know, Michael says yes. Uh, Peter says yes. You know, uh, Carrie says yes. All that, you know, like you acknowledge people and people feel seen. They feel noticed when you do that. And so having strategic questions and a frame of engagement at the start is really important to increasing the level of engagement. Now, if you're doing a Facebook Live, you know, and you have a thousand comments on a live presentation or on a live, Facebook is, first of all, they're going to say, hey, this is obviously something that people are liking. So let's Let's move more attention to this Facebook Live and you'll you'll grow your audience from that and all that sort of stuff. But like I said, the, the goal of it is actually more about, it's an indicator that the audience is highly engaged. And when people are highly engaged, they're going to be more ready to join your programs and to have a better response. So you, you want to be asking questions throughout. You want to be checking in with people. And, you know, even if it's just the start, checking in the audio is working, checking in the video is working, checking in, you know, where they're calling in from, what the weather is like, uh, you know, what are they most excited about learning? All those sort of questions as you go through. I know for us, one of the things I teach is uh, what's called micro decisions. And micro decisions are essentially this, this process where you get the audience to answer questions so that they become more uh, more driven for the outcome that you can help them with and what the session is all about. So it's like their motivational questions. And like one of them, for example, is like a scale. So you might say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how how engaged 
are your audiences on your webinar. So 10 is, you know, almost everyone has written a comment. If there's engagement through the whole presentation, you don't have like big dead spots. You, you're really strategic about the questions you ask and people are actually responding. Uh, and then that leads to sales. That would be like a 10. And and one is you you don't get barely any comments uh, and and people are like dropping off quite dramatically as you're going through, right? So where would it be right now? Just type it in or or you know, in your mind right now. So right now I'm asking a question, right? That's getting you to go on a scale of one to 10. Now it's a real, by the way, it's a simple question. I, all, all I'm asking for is a, is a number, right? But what it's doing is it's helping you to identify where you're at on this particular point. And so the power of that is it motivates you to first of all, get better at the point itself. And it's also easy for you to answer because there's no right or wrong you know, there's no good or bad necessarily. It's more just going like, where are you at right now? Getting some awareness around that. And so what tends to happen is people make the mistake of asking questions that are too difficult to answer. What I mean by that is if you ask a question like, you know, what's the purpose of your life? Or, you know, what, what's your deepest desire for your family? Or like, you can ask those questions, but don't expect many people to respond to that. You know, if you're asking questions like that, where, where you're asking for a sentence or quite a lot of words from people or asking for something quite vulnerable, especially at the start of a presentation, people are gonna be quite reluctant. And so for me, I wanna ramp up to that vulnerability. So you wanna start easy, Start small, like small things, like, you know, uh, something like, you know, out of these five topics that we're talking about, what are you most excited about? Just type that topic in, topic one, two, three, four, or five, or whatever, right? It's like a simple, easy, non-vulnerable question. You don't want to start with, what's your deepest, darkest secret, right? <laughs> you want to start with something simple where people can interact and then you slowly become more vulnerable as you go through, but you got to make it easy for people to respond. So people make the mistake of, of asking, first of all, they ask sometimes two questions. So they'll say something like, uh, when was the last time, you know, you did a great presentation and what was the biggest challenge that you experienced? Like always ask one question. How many? One. You got to always ask one question, not two. And you got to make it really easy for them to respond. One of the phrases that I use a lot of the time, if I'm looking for a feelings-based question or answer, should I say, uh, I'll, I'll say something like this. I'll say, just, just type the first thought that comes to mind, the first feeling or first thought that comes to mind, just just type that into the chat area. I'd love to hear what you're experiencing right now. And so, you know, I'll ask the question and then I'll say, just type the first thing that comes to mind. Because what you're looking for, you're not looking for the perfect answer from people. You're just looking for an answer. You're looking for engagement. You're looking for a response. And if people overthink it, that's when they start getting hesitant, reluctant. You want people to be in a mode of momentum. And to do that, they need to be trusting themselves. They need to be trusting their unconscious and responding to you without having resistance. And so there's some ways that you can do that. So that's the the second big mistake is just assuming that people will respond. No, you've got to take control of it. And for me, I demand response. And I, you know, I don't do it in an aggressive way, but I'm expecting response and I expect it from the audience because I know it's it's for their best interest as well, is that if they don't respond, they're going to be distracted. They won't get out of the presentation what they could get out. So that's the second one. The third big one is this, is that they speak with the same intensity as they do in their normal life. So the mistake is that they don't lift the intensity or the energy that they bring to the virtual presentation. Uh, you may have heard you know, the old saying that, that a camera puts 10 kilograms or I don't know, what's that, 30 pounds or something like that on you. 
right? Like I, I've, I've heard that, you know, saying a few times when I was growing up, people say, oh, you know, the camera puts 20 pounds on you or whatever. I don't even know if that's true, but people, people always say that. But so is it with your energy is that your, your energy is actually reduced when you get on camera. So in other words, if you're fairly, you know, cruisy, relaxed in your conversation, when you get on camera and you're cruisy and relaxed, you're actually going to come across as probably being boring and disengaged from the presentation. And so one thing you've got to notice is that when I'm presenting, I'm considering going, I have to lift my energy up to a level that is two or three notches of what I would normally communicate with in a normal conversation or, you know, a small presentation or something like that in a live audience. And so for me, the camera reduces the energy that's projected through to the audience member. And so what tends to happen is I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is don't have, I'm, I'm not saying to not have breaks, right? I'm, or, you know, I'm not saying to not have a moment where you pause, you know, like this, or you allow the audience to consider it. But what I am saying is that when you speak, the level of energy, intensity, focus that you bring to that presentation has to be two or three notches above what you experience normally, at least two or three notches. And so for me, like I said, the, the camera dulls down the energy. So, you, so when you speak and present, it will feel like you're being over the top. But the audience won't experience that. The audience will experience you at your kind of your 2.0 version. And it's actually not too intense for the audience. And when you think about it like this, as a speaker, you're actually in a leadership position because you're leading the room. And to do that, you actually have to lead your own energy in the room as well. And so, because you set the energy and the engagement for the presentation, not the audience. And so you've got to take charge of your energy and really lead the room in that energy and lift your intensity. And that if you come in at a, let's say you come in at an eight intensity, right? In your presentation, it's going to be received at a six. That's what I noticed tends to happen when it comes to, uh, yeah, when it comes to speaking on a virtual stage. So the third mistake is that people speak at, a too low of an intensity on a virtual stage, or they speak at a normal intensity as they would when they're having a normal conversation. You've got to lift it. The fourth big mistake is that they give confusing actions. So one thing that we know is that people won't make a decision if they're unclear or confused. And so at the end of a presentation, I had a student, a academy student recently asked and said, hey, I've got a program and there's kind of two options. I've got like a membership and I've got a product. Like which one should I sell or should I sell them together combined at the end of the webinar? And, and my advice is that you never sell two things. I mean, the only times you will ever have two things, if, it, if it's the same thing, but just at two different levels. In other words, there's like a basic level and then there's a VIP level right? That's the only time you would ever sell two versions of something because it's actually the same product, but just one has more support and then one's a little bit more do-it-yourself. And so that's the only time you would ever share two things. You only ever share one option or one thing that they want to do. I'm not saying you can't have different, you know, payment plans and things like that. You can have different payment plans, but even with payment plans, you have to be careful, right? You know, the most payment plans that usually I ever share and I recommend for my students is two. So you start with two, 
and you may release a third one closer to the end, but you want to be starting with two or some of, sometimes even just one, right? And so, and a confused buyer won't buy, right? You know that already. But this is the thing is that some of you are still making that mistake when it comes to the end of your, of your webinar and you're trying to overcompensate for your audience and giving them too many options. And we know that when there's too many options, people don't decide. And so what's really important is you give really clear, concise direction easy to follow direction when it comes to them making a decision or taking an action if you're asking them to join your program or to take some sort of next step. Maybe you're running a workshop and you're not selling a program on the end and you're actually just asking them to do something. You want to be really clear in what you're asking the audience to do because most of the time the audience aren't paying attention. Remember how I said that you have to work really hard to keep them engaged? You've got to be asking engaging questions throughout the whole conversation. Most people aren't listening. They're distracted. They've got all, they're distracted by their own conversation that they've got going on in their own head. And so what you need to do is you need to realize that people aren't listening generally. So you have to be so clear in what you're asking them to do. And one way to be clear as well is to have a really clean, simple URL. And so, you know, Maybe it's yourname.com forward slash now or go or, you know, just like really simple. You don't want to be, uh, do, do like yourname.com forward slash join my program now at a discount, <laughs> right? Or something like that. You want, you want it to be really simple, really easy, a pretty URL or at worst, you know, the worst work versions are the ones where people post those long URLs and, and it's like, it just makes no sense at all. And <laughs> It's ridiculous. What I'm saying here is that think about the last steps that you want your audience to take and you just want to be really clear, really concise and keep it simple, okay? And you want to be simple with when is the time that that has to be in? What is the direction they have to take? When they get there, what do they do? And sometimes it feels almost patronizing to be that simple, but don't view it as patronizing. View it as just, just, just being clear. Just being really clear on how to get access or to take action on the next step, okay? So don't view it as being patronizing to the audience. You're just being incredibly clear because what tends to happen is it's clear in your head, but in the audience's mind, it's not clear because it's the first time they're hearing it, right? And so you've been processing what you want the audience to do for quite some time. So it's probably clear in your head, but it's got to be super clear to the audience. So you've got to take the time step by step and take them through it. That's the fourth big mistake is that people give unclear or confusing action, especially at the end of their, of their trainings, their webinars, masterclasses, etc. And the fifth and big mistake when it comes to speaking on a virtual stage is that when, when it, this is more about the setup of your presentations is that they have a mentality of in, in regards to production um, like if someone's on a road show or something, they call it bumping in and bumping out, right? This is where you bump in, you bring in all the stuff, you set it up, you do the presentation and then you bump out. So you pack it all up and you leave. I know for us, we were, um, we, we've been attending a church locally uh, for a number of years and and they only just kind of got a venue where they weren't bumping in and bumping out, right? So it's like, and it's just exhausting. You have to get there early. You got to bump in all the stuff. Then you got to bump it out at the end. And it's exhausting. It's expensive, all that sort of stuff. And it just kind of adds up. And it and it actually makes doing the experience, the presentation, the whatever you've got on the event, it makes it really um, tiring and hard and difficult. And so just as much as you wanna make the whole experience easy for the audience, you wanna make the whole experience easy for you. 
So you've got to reduce the friction. And so what you do with that is you need to set up a permanent stage. And so you need to set up a permanent stage. Now, uh, it was probably six or seven months ago that I spent the time to do like a whole bunch of research in terms of how do I want my stage set up? Like what sort of camera do I want? What sort of lens do I want? Uh, you know, for me, I wanted the blurry background uh, and the and like crystal clear lens. I, I wanted my lights to be, you know, around me. I wanted the audio to be sitting up above. I also wanted my podcast to be really easy to access. So like I just swing on it for me right now, you know, to, to start this podcast, I'm recording it in the afternoon. I literally just swung the podcast mic around and flicked my podcast, uh, you know, box on, uh, and then I was ready to go. It, it it took me under twenty seconds to to set up for a podcast, and it's the same for me as doing a presentation. I've got lights in my background that are based on Wi-Fi and a whole bunch of things like that. I've kind of set up, and so I spent the time to set my own studio up. So I've I've set up a permanent stage, and trust me, doing this. Yes, it's a bit of an investment, but it will honestly pay off big time, especially right now and moving into the future with everything just staying, it's going to stay virtual for a long time, let's be honest. And even when it goes back to in-person, the whole virtual platform has just become more and more normal. And so I know for us, you know, our events are virtual, like our virtual events. We've got an event coming up. We've got a two-day sell from stage live event coming up in the next couple of months. And it's a two-day virtual event. Now, I run them like a live event. Like we break into rooms, we practice our signature stories, we get feedback, we, you know, go through our core premise. Like the experience is like a live event, you know, the level of what you get out of it, but the event is virtual. And so this is not going away anytime soon. And for me, I wanted to make it as easy as I could to take that that friction out of it. So I want it to, yeah, I want it to be smooth like a, like a, a water slide as opposed to sandpaper. And so... If anyone's interested in what sort of gear that I use, I'll put the link down below in the show notes, but it's colinboyd.co forward slash virtual studio. One word, virtual studio, colinboyd.co, that's Colin with a one L, C-O-L-I-N-B-O-Y-D.co forward slash virtual studio. And why don't you even go there now? But for me, you know, we've set up a whole bunch of uh, lists of things that I use and I recommend. There's there's some budget stuff and, and there's also like a lot of premium stuff there as well. But for me, I wanted to create a stage that where people saw it, I stood out and people would say, wow, that looks premium. That looks really nice. And can I let you in on a secret? A lot of it has to do with the lens that you choose. And, and there's a specific camera that, that we use. I think right now it's a uh, Sony uh, 5100, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but it's about the lens, the lens that connects with it and getting the right type of DSLR that's going to stream. I know for us, our the DSLR I'm using can stream for you know five, six, seven, eight hours straight without turning off, without overheating or turning off. So you want to you want the right type of camera, lens, lighting, audio, all that sort of stuff. But if you're interested, you can click on the link in the show notes. You can go to my virtual studio. There's a whole list of different things that I use and everything on there I use. And so for me, some of the big game changing things have been getting a standing desk that has been amazing and you know it's it's not that expensive a couple of hundred dollars i've got a great standing desk and in one click of a button i mean right now i'm recording this podcast standing up because i know my energy is better when i'm standing up and so i just click number two 
and the whole you, the whole desk just rises to my standing level and I press number one and it goes down to the seating level. It's like super simple, right? All these little like tricks and hacks that you can have that may just make your life so much easier and you're going to be more prolific when you do that. The payoff is just is just immense. Now, yes, there is a little bit of an investment with that, but I'm telling you, it, it's a good, in, I think it's a really good investment to make to be using to build a a full-time stage, a permanent stage for a setup. So let's go through what those five big things were, the five big mistakes. The first one is that people speak to their computer instead of a human. So you gotta speak speak to the lens like it's people's eyes. The second big mistake is that is that we assume that people will respond. People don't respond. You have to ask, command, demand response in a obviously respectful way. But what I mean demand response is like, I expect it. I expect my audience to respond. The third thing is the mistake is that you speak at the same level that you would normally. You have to lift your intensity when you're on a virtual stage because it actually dulls your energy down. The fourth big mistake is that that you give confusing action. You have to be so clear in your action at the end or people won't take that action. And finally is you've got the mistake is the bump in bump out mentality when it comes to your presentations on virtual studios. You got to set up a permanent stage so that you can use it every single day. I know for me, I've got everything set up from the virtual stage, like the, you know, the streaming capabilities. I've got my, my podcast uh, set up. There's a whole bunch of things set up around me. It just makes life so much easier. And so that's what I'd recommend you to do. And so, hey, that's been my five big mistakes that I've noticed that people make when it comes to virtual stages. If this has been valuable, I'd love to know what's been most helpful. Why don't you jump down to the bottom of iTunes there or just on the iTunes uh, section on my podcast and first of all, subscribe. But second of all, leave a review of, I'd love to know what's been most valuable from these five big mistakes. Uh, love to hear what's been most valuable. So guys, thanks so much for the time. Uh, I trust you've gained some value from this and I just appreciate you. And I see you out there. I see you going for it, getting yourself on stage, presenting, giving it a go. It's all about giving it a go and you'll make more and more progress. So bless you all. I'm thinking of you. Take care and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a beat of the Expert Edge podcast. And please share it also in Instagram uh, and tag me or share it with a friend if you think this has been useful as well. So bless you guys. Appreciate you all. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. Go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step -step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.